we're on a kind of transition into the autumn, so we're sticking with an all-age service, but um, some of the more normal winter pattern uh, elements will be also included today. Our call to worship comes from Isaiah chapter 55. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you that have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Our opening hymn this morning is Psalm 42. As the deer longs for running streams, so I long, so I long, so I long for you. And we're invited to stand as we sing, if you are able.
And so we come to God in prayer. And as is custom, we will join together in the Lord's Prayer in our own natural languages and preferred versions when we reach that point. So let us pray together. God of stillness, we come together out of the busyness and activity of the week, seeking a place and a space to slow down, to rest and to be refreshed for the days ahead. As we come, there are good reasons to offer you thanks. Perhaps we made a new friend, learned a new skill, spent time with our pets, enjoyed a good meal, laughed out loud, or just relaxed. For these simple yet significant moments, we thank you. There have also been moments that have made us sad or maybe caused us regret. Perhaps we didn't do something and now wish that we had. Perhaps we said something and now wish that we hadn't. Maybe we grumbled or complained. Lost something precious. Or were just too busy. These moments, however significant or insignificant, we hand over to you. We try to let them go and to seek the release that we need. Grateful for your goodness, released from our own regrets, we're able to offer you our worship and praise. To celebrate the wonder of who you are and the mystery of your love for and delight in us. With renewed hope, we join our voices together in the words of the prayer Jesus taught his followers as we say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, for ever and ever. Amen. When you came in this morning, you will hopefully have found a bottle of water on your seat. And we've got a bit of a water theme this morning as we kind of hold some different ideas together in our, in our heads. But I wonder, what do we use water for? Sorry? Washing clothes? Okay, washing clothes, yeah. 
Drinking? Swimming. Swimming? Power. Sorry? Power. Power, yeah. Water turbines or water wheels. Or, yeah. Watering the garden. Watering the garden, yeah. Cooking. Cooking. Washing the car. Washing the car. <laughs> Washing ourselves. <laughs> Got plenty more on my list. Drinking. Drinking, yeah. Pretty important, that one. Shampooing your hair, yeah. Does nobody clean their teeth in this church? <laughs> Most people use some water when they clean their teeth. About the toilet. Water to flush the toilet. Um, whoever paints anything. And you, what do you do with your brushes afterwards? If, yeah. About a car, who drives a car? What do I have water for in cars? Radiator and green wash, yeah. Uh, what else have we got? Um, who uses electricity? Hydroelectric, yep. And in fact, steam is driving turbines even in most non-hydro stations. So, yep, need it for electricity generation. Making tea, baptising people. Sorry, there's not, there's not one I'm definitely trying to get to here. It's just to recognise just the incredible versatility of water which is something that we tend to take for granted it's just there we don't think about it the person we're going to be focusing on today is mother Teresa of calcutta and she only allowed her nuns to drink water they weren't allowed to have a cup of tea if somebody offered them a cup of tea they used to have to say no well i'll just have some water thank you um, she wouldn't let them have washing machines they had to wash their saris and other clothes in water in a bucket. And I think, if I remember correctly, they were rationed as to how much water they had a day. She wanted them to understand what it was like to be poor. And she, she thought the best way to do that was to live like the very, very poor people. But to give somebody just a cup of water, she believed, was a, a sign of love. She tried to see God in everybody, tried to catch a glimpse of God in every person that she met. And so to give somebody a cup of water, she said, was to give a cup of water to Jesus. And that's why our songs this morning have got a bit of a water theme running through them. So we're actually going to sing um, something now to the Malang Sprinkling song, but we're going to sing it in the way that we normally do psalms. So we'll remain seated the choir will, will sing the verses and we will all join with them in the, the, the chorus. Thanks, Paul. Oh, God. 
So today we are meeting Mother Teresa, somebody who lived in the 20th century, someone we may have known about for many years, and about whom we probably already have our own opinions, which might be favourable and might be unfavourable. They might be really well informed, or they may just be things we've casually acquired. She's the only person in our group of heroes who's a Roman Catholic, and she's the only one who has been officially declared a saint. So in this resume of her life, I'm trying to concentrate on verifiable facts rather than commenting on controversy, though I will allude to that briefly. Agnes Bayaxiu, something like that, was born on the 26th of August 1910 into a Kosovar Albanian family and was baptised the next day in the city of Skopje, which is the capital of modern-day Macedonia. She was the youngest of three children, with an older brother called Lazar, as in Lazarus, and an older sister called Aga or Aga or Aga, but not as in the cooker. Agnes means little flower, and the few photos of her as a child suggest that she was quite attractive, and she certainly enjoyed a comfortable life. Some of the biographers of her say that she loved hearing stories about overseas missionaries, especially those who went to India. Certainly from a young age, she was very devout, and around about the age of 12, she believed herself to be called of God to a religious life, to the life of a nun. So at the age of 18, she left her homeland and travelled to Ireland to go to Loretto Abbey, so that she could learn English with the intention of joining that particular order of nuns, which had a strong educational ministry, which was being undertaken amongst other places in India. A year after she went there, she travelled to Darjeeling, where she learned Bengali and began to teach in the Loreto Convent School. It was here that she made her final vows in 1937, when she would have been 27 years old, and where she served until 1946, eventually becoming the headmistress. And it was while she was at the Loreto School in Darjeeling that she experienced her call within a call, as she called it, and began to explore how that might be expressed. There were two options available to her. She could ask to be released from her vows and become a layperson, or she could ask to remain a nun, but to be released from the order to which she had committed herself. What she really wanted was the second of these, but she chose with advice to ask for the former and was given what she, expect, what she hoped for. She was allowed to remain a nun, but she was released from the order that she was part of. Once she left that order she adopted the blue and white sari that was become the distinctive uniform of the Missionaries of Charity. From what the official biography says, there was no huge significance to this sari. She just went to the market and there were two white saris with a blue edging, so she bought those two. And that meant she could wear one and wash one. So she began her work amongst the poorest of the poor when she was in her 30s, and by her 40th birthday had been granted permission to form the Missionaries of Charity. 
1952, the first home for the dying was opened in an abandoned Hindu temple. Here, people were accepted no matter what their religious beliefs and were allowed to die with some degree of dignity according to their own faith, whether that was Christian, Muslim or Hindu. In fact, at one stage, quite early on, she explored the possibility of establishing both Muslim and Hindu branches of the Missionaries of Charity, but actually never managed to achieve that. The work spread very rapidly, and Mother Teresa was often accused of being impetuous and haste by her advisers. And she would say, uh, like somebody else we know and love very much, well, it's the will of God. She seems to have been a tenacious and determined woman. Photos like this one of her holding babies are plentiful. Like both William Carey and Mary Slessor before her, she took care of abandoned babies. But the work that she was involved with was much wider. It includes care of people affected by leprosy in India, people affected with HIV-AIDS in the USA, and some people in some of the deprived areas of UK cities, including London, Glasgow, Edinburgh, Birmingham and Liverpool. Alongside the main women's order was a contemplative order, so an order focused on prayer and equivalent for men. She also had a network of what she called co-workers around the world. These were people who provided practical and financial support She didn't like the idea of becoming an organisation. She resisted that term quite determinedly. As I'm sure we all know, Mother Teresa travelled very widely. She would speak about her work. She um, accepted all kinds of awards and established new projects. This was far from uncontroversial because she made no secret of her views on abortion, family planning and the role of women. Let's just say she was a very traditional Roman Catholic of her generation who made few accommodations to the changes of Vatican II. There was no way her sisters were going to abandon their habits for contemporary clothing. So among those she met and engaged with were religious leaders, politicians, and royalty and others who, well, with the gift of hindsight, we would consider to be less reputable, such as Robert Maxwell. I think it's fair to say that Mother Teresa became widely known following a 1960s BBC uh, documentary by Malcolm Muggeridge and a book of the same title, Something Beautiful for God, that came out not long after that. This began a very complex relationship with the media that continued all of her life, including a highly critical 1990s Channel 4 Without Walls programme by Christopher Hitchens, who's the one on the right, which he very provocatively titled Hell's Angel. So she certainly created big, strong opinions in different people. In her advancing years, Mother Teresa's health failed and she underwent significant cardiac surgery on more than one occasion. She died of a heart attack in her beloved India on the 5th of September 1997. She was beatified in 2003 
and canonised, making her an official saint in 2016. Only after her death did the publication of her private letters and papers provide an insight into her personal struggles with faith and allow a much deeper insight to be gained into this complex, determined and sometimes impetuous woman. So we'll be thinking a little bit more about that as we go along. But now we're going to sing a Hindi Christian worship song. And Paul's going to guide us into how we're going to go about that. Thanks, Paul. for the word of God in scripture in the gospel as told by John <clears throat> sorry just lost my place there Jesus had to pass through Samaria and on his way he came to a Samaritan town called Sychar near the plot of ground which Jacob gave his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. It was about noon, and Jesus, tired after his journey, was sitting by the well. His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. (coughs) Meanwhile, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. The woman said, What? You, a Jew, ask for a drink from a Samaritan woman? Jews did not share drinking vessels with Samaritans. Jesus replied, If only you knew what God gives and who it is that is asking you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, 
you have no bucket and the well is deep. So where can you get living water? Are you greater than Jacob, our ancestor, who gave us the well and drank from it himself? He and his sons and his cattle too. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I shall give will never again be thirsty. The water that I shall give will be a spring of water within them, welling up and bringing eternal life. And then later in the Gospel, in the crucifixion story, Jesus was taken away and went out, carrying the cross himself to the place called the Skull, in Hebrew, Golgotha. And there they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, with Jesus in between. And later in the story, after this, Jesus, aware that all had now come to its appointed end, said in fulfilment of Scripture, I am thirsty. So we continue to explore some of these ideas in different ways. Um, as usual, we have all sorts of interesting creative stuff through in the other room. You can make a beautiful mandala that Emma has designed and some other stuff that I've come up with. Um, there's also colouring through there or if you just need some space to move around. And there are some questions if you want to just go and reflect quietly. Or you can stay here. We've got colouring at the back and I will, of course, as usual, be sharing a reflection. And then after that, we will come back together for our prayers and the rest of the service. So just feel free to move around to wherever you would like to be. So we're on to week seven, and by now it's hardly a surprise that behind the popular myth is a more complex story of a real person who was just as human as we are, in all our frailty and finitude. Each one of us unique, each one of us trying to follow Jesus, and quite probably thinking that everybody else is better at it than we are. In Mother Teresa, we meet somebody who, whilst outwardly confident and secure, faced many struggles of her own. There's a lot about Mother Teresa's spirituality and theology that I don't understand and I don't share. For example, the idea of offering an experience of suffering to God for the benefit of somebody else, frankly, is something I can't get my head around but it was what she believed in and she expected others to do so. 
her seeming glorification of poverty as something to be embraced rather than something to be transformed seems very much at odds with the gospel as I understand it. And her near-fundamentalist stance on birth control and abortion seems to me to lack understanding of the complexity of these issues. But for all that, I'm sure she was a woman of integrity. I'm sure she did her best to live out her faith as she understood it. And as an absolute minimum, I think that's worth recognising. And so as somebody who lived out her faith the best she could, I'm content to include her as one of our heroes of faith. If Mother Teresa had a guiding scripture, it was John chapter 19, (coughs) verse 28, which we just heard, where Jesus, dying in agony on the cross, says... I thirst. I am thirsty. Her reflection on and interpretation of this statement undergirded all that she endeavoured. She asked herself, what is it for which Christ thirsts? And her response to that was something that she wrote into the founding document of the Missionaries of Charity. Nowadays, we'd call it a statement of charitable purpose, I guess, if we were doing it for Oscar. The general end of the missionaries of charity is to satiate the thirst of Jesus Christ on the cross for love and souls. What does that mean? Well, I have to admit, I've struggled a bit with that, trying to, I kind of get what the words mean, but what actually does it mean, really? So I'm going to quote um, fairly extensively from a Roman Catholic website, and if you understand it, you can explain it to me. Or if you get it, I think I can understand it, I'm just not sure I get it. What should our response be to Jesus' thirst for our love? When a suffering person in Ethiopia or India experienced torturing thirst... Mother Teresa would quickly bring water to satiate that thirst. In a similar way, Jesus thirsts for our love. And Mother Teresa desired to satiate his thirst by promptly responding to his will, by making sacrifices for him, by loving him in the people she served, and by entrusting her entire life into his hands. This is Jesus' word. I thirst for love, for souls, not for water. We can begin to satiate God's thirst for our love by being generous with him, with our time, by giving him our attention throughout the day, by spending more of our lives in prayer. Mother Teresa also taught that we satiate Christ's thirst by loving him in our neighbour, the people he places in our lives, especially those in most need of our care and attention. Most of all, Jesus thirsts for our lives to be completely surrendered to him. He ardently desires that we, intimately, sorry, that we be intimately attached to him in such a way that we will not thirst for anything in this world that will lead us away from him, the only true and living fountain. 
This satiating Christ's thirst entails more than mere avoidance of sin. It involves a total yielding of our lives to him, truly pursuing his plan for our lives. He thirsts for our entire lives to be surrendered to him so that they may be used for his purposes. Whether we understand that logic, whether we accept that logic, lives lived in the service of God, often very sacrificially, are exactly what we've been recalling over these summer services. And the call to explore what that looks like for each of us still remains. For the greater part of 50 years, almost from the time of her call within a call, Mother Teresa would find herself living with an unquenchable thirst for a sense of God's presence. Her personal papers, recovered and published after her death, despite her request that they be burned, reveal a very different woman from the smiling, charismatic figure who engaged with powerful people and grasped every possible speaking opportunity to express her beliefs and values. Predominantly, using the language of darkness, she wrote repeatedly about her own lack of awareness of God's presence. She felt isolated. She felt lonely. And she could never quite satisfy that thirst for God. And she asked questions. Had God abandoned her? Had God lost interest in her? Was it all futile? Even trying to view it as a participation in Jesus' own sense of abandonment on the cross didn't help her to make sense of it. She was a lonely, struggling woman for almost as long as I have lived. The psalmist speaks of thirsting for God as a deer, perhaps having evaded predators or hunters, longs to slake its thirst in cool, running water. The prophet Isaiah gives us a promise of water freely available to all who thirst for it. And Jesus himself promised a Samaritan woman living water, cool, fresh, restorative and unending. The yearning for God and the promise of satiation are there. But Teresa seems to have been unable to find her own still waters, her own running streams, her own wells of living water. If you've got a good memory, um, I kind of vaguely recall this and I delivered it. In Psalm 22, uh, sorry, in February, we looked at Psalm 22 and talked about the dark night of the soul. The sense of abandonment, or at least divine silence, is, has, is experienced by mystics and others, sometimes very fleetingly and sometimes long-term. And as part of that, uh, we recall John Wesley's struggles with faith. And the advice that was given to him when he asked somebody wise was, well, preach faith until you have faith, and then preach faith. I guess if we were to put it into contemporary idiom, we would say, fake it until you make it. And this seems to have been roughly what Mother Teresa did for the rest of her life. 
she prayed her rosary, she went to Mass, she received the Eucharist, and she continued to record her struggles and to share them with her spiritual confessor. There are lots of quotations from Mother Teresa, and among them is one that says this. God has not called me to be successful. God has called me to be faithful. I actually agree with her on that. They're simple words, but profound. In these words is a gentle call to perseverance, whatever the circumstances, however we feel. Again, if we were to put it into contemporary idiom, something like a reminder to stick at it, to keep on keeping on. Of course, we may be struggling, doubting, even not believing, and Teresa had her moments of unbelief. But we hang on in there because we believe that's what we're called to do. Among the famous people whom Mother Teresa met was Bob Geldof, who was in Addis Ababa to discuss how the money raised from the original Do They Know It's Christmas should be spent. I think we're all just about old enough to remember that, except possibly George. And he recalled her saying to him, as she seems to have done to other people, what you do, I could not do. What I do, you cannot do. But as long as it is clear in your heart and your mind, then it is God's will to see us through. And I think, for me, that's perhaps the most useful thing that she's recorded as saying it has an important message that frees us from the tyranny of comparing ourselves to others. It frees us from worrying about the quality of our faith or our spirituality or thinking, well, you know, if you really knew what my private faith was like, you wouldn't want to know me. Every single one of us has something unique and precious to give. And if I can borrow a phrase from Mother Teresa, that something is beautiful for God. Mother Teresa spent her long life doing what she considered to be God's call on her life. It wasn't perfect. There's a lot that you can justifiably criticise. And if she were to begin now, I think the shape of her work might be very different. But in that, she's no different from our other heroes. Like them and like us, she was doing her best to follow Jesus and to offer him the love she believed he craved. Maybe one day somebody will look back at us and seeing a picture that we can't yet see, they'll spot our faults and our failings and yes, our quirks and our foibles. But I hope that when that day comes, they'll look on us as God does, with love, with mercy with grace, and incorporate it all into something utterly beautiful that will only be completed and revealed at the end of time when all is made new.
so we're going to sing again. Beauty for brokenness, hope for despair. Lord, in your suffering world, this is our prayer. And just in case if anyone's not familiar, just check where the chorus is coming because we don't do it after every verse. Thanks, Paul. Oh, <laughs> 
for our prayers today, we're going to use the bottles of water as a sensory aid. If you have a bottle of water, well, you do have a bottle of water, and I invite you to take it, and as we pray to God, I'd like you to turn it round so you can see the part of the label that displays the origins of this water. You might not be able to read it because it's tiny writing. This water was collected from a specific place by a particular company and it was bottled, marketed and sold. We've made water into a commodity, something that's bought and sold when actually it is given freely by God to us and to all life on this planet. The prophet says, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters and you that have no money, come, buy and eat. Come by wine and milk without money and without price. Water is present over so much of the earth. It provides a home to fish and sea creatures and is essential to life for all animals and all plants. As old as time, and seemingly in limitless supply. Drought, flood, contamination and disease all threaten its availability and safety. So let us pray for all whose work it is to bring clean water to communities, both in our own land and overseas. For water companies, managing reservoirs, treatment plants and pipework systems. And for aid agencies and charities, digging boreholes, installing tube wells and delivering bottled water. I invite you, if you would like to, to open your bottle of water and take a good slurp. Notice how it feels in your mouth. Enjoy the sense of swallowing it. Jesus said to the Samaritan woman, give me a drink. Physical thirst is something with which we're all familiar, at least to an extent. Often, we'll choose to drink something that we think is more interesting than just plain water. Maybe tea or coffee, juice, fizzy drinks, even wine or beer maybe. 
So let us thank God for the diversity we enjoy. And pray for those whose work it is to grow, manufacture, pack, deliver and sell the many different drinks that we enjoy. And now I invite you to close up your bottle and place it on the floor where you can see it, but you can't drink it. As he hung on the cross, alone and dying, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. Thirst is a powerful metaphor for human longing. The dying Jesus, abandoned by his friends, ridiculed by onlookers, and in extreme agony, experienced not only physical thirst, but also a thirst for love, acceptance, embrace, relief, and release. Let us pray for those those whose thirst is not material, not physical. For those who are lonely or isolated, who perhaps will not speak to another human being today. For those whose sorrow is so deep that they cannot express it. For those who long to be accepted but experience only ridicule and rejection. And now we can pick up the bottle again. Jesus said, If you ask, I will give you living water. A promise of hope. Thirst quenched. Life refreshed. So let us take a moment or two of silence to bring to God our own thirst and to be reminded of these promises from God. God of all goodness, all love, all life, accept our prayers offered in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.
loving God who gives us all we need in such abundance. So much so that there should not be poverty or starvation or loneliness or abandonment anywhere in this planet. And yet there is. So as we offer these gifts of money, we ask you to help us to employ them wisely, to be and to speak good news wherever it is needed. Amen. Please do take your bottles of water with you when you go and if there are spare ones lying around, please feel free to take them as well because I'm not taking them home. I still have another two dozen at home so I don't need any more. We're going to sing our closing hymn, When I Needed a Neighbour, Were You There? go from here refreshed in mind and spirit encouraged in heart and soul and renewed for works of service and may our triune God creator redeemer and sustainer be with us and remain with us now and always Amen.